listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about intercessory prayer ministry. We hear a reflection on finding our true identity. And we hear a classical guitar piece composed by Antonio Lauro, Vals Criolo, played by Kyler McGillicuddy. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... I'm Steve. And with me as sometimes... Sean O'Neill. Welcome, Sean. How you doing? Thank you. Good to have you with us. <laughs> well, Sean's on the podcast every time, but he's been in our conversation. Right. He, this time he's on bookends. He's bookends. Yeah, he's at the beginning and the end. That's right. Oh, actually, beginning and the middle, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So how have things been this week? It, the weather is lukewarm. Yeah. We always talk about the weather. We always do. Right? We have to like we have to give everybody the the two week it's delayed so, so <laughs> weather British. report. It's British. It is. It is British. Do you feel at home? Oh yes. Well, it's raining outside, so yes. Exactly. My my mother used to have this um, old wives' tale, old wives' wisdom, whatever. That if uh, the wind blows cold on Holy Thursday, it'll blow cold until Ascension Thursday. And so um, this past Holy Week, it was warm. Except on Holy Thursday. It was like in the 40s on Holy Thursday. And then we had that very short blip in, in the 80s. And I thought, ah, oh, we're breaking the... No, it's back down. All right, well, the... just can I, can I say, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that statement. <laughs> Whatever it is, folk wisdom or it, not. It, it, it turns out to be true more often than not. I'm just going to put well, it out there. This is a, a very slow spring, but... Uh, we continue to uh, revel in the fact that the tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Mm. He's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. So we've got Sean to uh, come on the podcast today because we've got um, we've got a, a few things that are coming up in the next few weeks, and we wanted to be able to let everybody know about it. Um, we've got this intercessory prayer meeting. Can you? Well, well, yeah. Let's just talk a little bit about the background, Sean. You and and uh, Liz, um, Chris Balding. Debbie McPherson and I joined with others from the diocese for, I think it was called Making Disciples, right? right? Yeah. And maybe just talk a little bit about what, um, what that was about and, and then maybe segue into this initiative that was a fruit of that. Yeah, so this uh, conference um, was up at the retreat center and the, the aim of it was to encourage us, I guess, to evangelize more. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came out of that was the importance of intercessory prayer before and during evangelization. So uh, there was a kind of practicum. We met in groups to work out what we were going to do in each of our parishes to affect that. And um, so we discussed it, and what we came up with was a way in which we could um, form a group of intercessory prayer ministers, uh, and we began, uh, or at least the the plan was to begin with this intercessory prayer meeting, and then from that, hopefully, to form an intercessory prayer group out of it. Yeah. 
So is this something that will be open to all, or is there going to be a discernment of a charism of intercessory prayer? Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Can you speak a little bit about what no, discernment? No, no, that's it. Both. <laughs> what what does discernment of that charism look like if if people are not familiar with the charism? So it's kind of difficult to discern, and but one of the things that uh, we hoped to do was that those who show up to it, we would give them. So we will have people register sure. for it, and then after the event, we would email them to see whether they wanted to be part of a an intercessory group. Mm-hmm. But in a sense. Intercessory prayer is a charism of any Christian. Sure. I mean, there is a specific charism of it, but um, the main uh, thrust of this particular bout of intercessory prayer is to pray for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the parish. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's basically what we'll be doing. The, uh, the event is going to be on May 19th, and it's going to, only going to take an hour and uh, we'll start with a short talk from Father Steve, and then we'll have a litany to the Holy Spirit, and then the beginning of a novena to the Holy Spirit. Ah. So it'll be a Friday night, and uh, we'll um, we'll have benediction at six thirty as usual, and then we'll we'll begin again at seven. And uh, right, I think right. we'll do uh, the talk and then exposition at toward the end of that, and mm-hmm. then we'll go through the night. As I yeah, recall. that's right. So it'll be an all night vigil. After that, we'll have a sign up for slots for that so yeah I, I it's been in my mind for a long time that intercessory prayer was really important I mean in a sense when we pray over people we are doing intercessory prayer and it's really powerful so um, th- this kind of confirmed in my mind how important it is for evangelization and also for the just this general spiritual life of our parishioners. Well, it was a point that uh, that Craig, Craig Pohl, early on when we had our first assembly, I think that was one of the takeaways. We should uh, be creating encounter opportunities, but also uh, bathing it in prayer mm-hmm. and that sense of uh, imploring the Lord and uh, asking him to respond to our heart's desire to spread the good news. And I think we're planning, maybe maybe i re- remembering, misremembering, Sean, to do three of these over three months. Well, that was the original plan. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that, Things uh, have changed. <laughs> Let, so, yes. Yeah, I at least give <laughs> me the caveat. Maybe my memory is. <laughs> I'm misremembering. Yeah. yeah, so that was the original plan, which was to do this over three months. And... Um, as part of the discernment for who had the gift of intercessory prayer, it would be who showed up to three, yeah, <laughs> three well, sure. prayer vigils. Yeah. You know, so who would be willing to to do that? Um, We've had a few of these uh, overnight prayer vigils uh, for various causes, and mm-hmm. I think uh, for us to, as we build up to Pentecost, as we've done before. Just talk about the expectancy of uh, receiving a deeper outpouring within the parish at the start, but then also to have that sense of being equipped and then sent into the world to uh, share the good news with others. I like the, the you know, I asked the question, is this for everybody or for those that have discerned? I like that you your answer both because in one sense, what we're all called to do the work of prayer and ministry mm-hmm. um, and 
but that doesn't preclude the fact that there are some who are particularly gifted um, to do some works. You know, St. Paul talks about the different gifts that are d- given to different members of the body. If you're not given a particular gift of intercessory prayer, that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do intercessory prayer. Yeah, just, just as we, we, the Lord can heal through any of us, but there are some people who may have a charism of healing. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people aren't particularly well-versed in the fact that they are given special gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, the Catechism of the Church talks about um, the hierarchical um, charisms that are given to priests and bishops, and and then it talks about the char- um, the charismatic gifts uh, that are given. And um, uh, Sherry Waddell, who I think led that, yeah. um, mm-hmm. that retreat, uh, she has this great um, kind of way of discerning what charisms that you've been given. Um, and having that knowledge is encouragement to use it uh, because you know that then it's not about my particular skills or my particular talents. It's the way that the Holy Spirit has decided to move in me to love the church. Um, and so learning what those gifts are uh, is important for every baptized and confirmed Catholic to do um, because that's their participation in the body of Christ. And we, we had the called and gifted, which is the, the workshop that Sherry Waddell, she wasn't here for that, but we had somebody uh, lead people in the parish and, and community, broader region uh, it, through the called and gifted. And I think that that resource is valuable. I don't think that we have yet capitalized on those gifts in the way. And I think that's true for very, very many parishes. I think we want to uh, call the members of the faithful to use those gifts, to discern those gifts, and uh, to employ them uh, both in their individual lives, but also uh, in the context of the, the parish life. Yeah, that might be something that we might want to look back into in the future, because I know sometimes people don't necessarily in, volunteer for things or whatnot in the parish because maybe their schedule is really packed and or a certain time of life they're in that they are not able to do that. But I think another time at other times people don't because they just don't know what they could do. And by discerning uh, your particular charisms, you might find, Oh, you're very good at teaching or you're very good at writing or you're really good at administration. Uh, that's not me, by the way. <laughs> that's not no, me. It, it, it is. I, I think that's absolutely right. But that right. gives you the courage yeah, to right. step out yeah. and say, because just because you've been given a gift doesn't mean you're instantly going to be good at it. You need to do some training and some you know, further discernment and, um, and some development of that gift. Um, but discerning it then gives you the courage and the confidence to be able to step out. Um, so it might be something that we look back into again. Well, in, in coming weeks, uh, I'm going to be talking in the uh, homilies about those gifts that we've had. And uh, we're going to be reestablishing some commissions, one on evangelization and uh, what, what's the title of it? Is it um, and formation? Evangeliz- yeah, evangelization and, and formation. formation. And the other one is worship. Mm. And then we've got a school commission, we've got a parish pastoral council, and then a finance council. So we're going to ask people to uh, either nominate other people or themselves for that. And I was talking to a woman yesterday. Uh, I had asked her to serve in times past on the finance council. And she came yesterday and said, you know, I, I, I had 
experience in a finance council at a different parish, and and I, I realized I, I said no quickly to you, but I think I was thinking that it would be the same as it was there, et cetera. And she was just talking about the strengths, uh, the, the Gallup strengths finders that she has. And then she said that she did the called and gifted and her, her gifts were actually administration. And I said, let's circle back and talk uh, as May draws close because there may be something that the Lord is inviting you to do in the perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of years ago, I asked her to serve on, on a particular council. And, and uh, so it's, it's interesting. I think the Lord wants to draw out the gifts because the more we can give within the context of the parish and use those gifts, the more we feel like we are uh, not just attending, but really part of the body. Yeah, and I think um, praying for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit is uh, a wonderful opportunity Mm -hmm. for people to then recognize what gifts they have and come forward and offer those Mm -hmm. in service. So rather than going around parishioners trying to strong arm them into <laughs> yeah. That's right. you know, serving at coffee and donuts or whatever it might be. Well, we do need that. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, and, and what is that? There's, there's helps, there's uh, hospitality. There are people mm-hmm. who actually get fed spiritually by serving others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, the interesting um, way that using your, your charisms uh, the effects that it has. I, uh, a number of years ago, I went through called and gifted, discerned the the charism of teaching, and so really kind of leaned into that. And I discovered two things: when I teach, I feel more in union with Christ. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have been given life, and I also discover that the people that listen to me teach hear things I don't say. (laughs) Like the Holy Spirit is working through me in ways that I don't anticipate so that there's times where people, I might, I might like, you know, I'm, I'm involved with the RCAA, right? I'll hear weeks, months later, somebody will say, when you said this that one night, it, changed my perspective or I, I really was affected of the Holy. And I'm like, I don't remember saying that. Um, and so, I mean, I probably said it, but the Holy Spirit used it um, between me and the, and the listener to affect their life and their relationship with Christ. And so mm-hmm. that's just my example, but uh, you know, these different examples of, of like hospitality, I do not find hospitality very life-giving. I find it a chore. <laughs> and, and we can all do these things, but right. I do think the Lord wants us to, uh, I'm reminded again of Chariots of Fire where Eric Little, uh, you know, he says, uh, why does he run? When he runs, he feels God's mm. pleasure, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I'm fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. The Lord wants us, and I, I think, I hope that everybody who's listening to us has sensed the Lord's pleasure in you as you've been living your life and, and uh, sharing the faith with other people, serving in this way or that, and uh I, I really do think that praying for the Holy Spirit and a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit is perfectly timed with this holy season of Easter, getting ready for Pentecost. You know, and during Easter, I've been reading uh, the Acts of the Apostles, and this is really how the early church functioned. Uh, those that were good at certain, I mean, there's the one point where the apostles are like, we can't pay attention to feeding everybody. Uh, we have to teach. And so they assigned people that were given that gift. To, to make sure that uh, everyone was taken care of. Mm-hmm. And 
it you know it wasn't a scandal that they couldn't teach uh, feed the widows and the orphans. They weren't asked to do that particular work, mm-hmm. so they brought in the deacons. Uh, Saint Paul is given the gift of evangelization, and and Saint Peter. You don't hear the names of all the other apostles. Maybe they were doing it and they just weren't uh, didn't right. get catch Luke's attention, or maybe they had other charisms that they maybe they were healing or, or whatnot. Um, and so. When a whole when a whole parish, I can only imagine what if a whole parish discerned their charisms and, and activated their charisms, what the Holy Spirit would do, not just for that parish, but the whole region around it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's a real it's a way to really bring down the Holy Spirit in a way that um, that uh, I think imitates the early church. And I I do think that that your your reflection about kind of feeling that joy in teaching, uh, I've had people involved in ministry who I would say really have a charism of worship, but may not be technically the most talented Mm -hmm. people that I've heard. So you can have a great skill in singing or in music, but you may not have that charism. So it doesn't have that that God-breathedness, technical compliance to uh, the art and the skill is not the charism. We need the this to be spirit breathed Mm -hmm. and that dependence upon the Lord. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a good example in music because if you are technically brilliant, it may be a distraction. You may end up performing for people rather than leading them in worship. I think we've all heard examples of that, you know, where it's like, okay, I just listened to a performance at mass. It was very good, but (laughs) it wasn't very. (laughs) Just just an interesting anecdote. So, at uh, my former parish, uh, not parish, uh, when I was a part of the evangelical church, uh, they would sometimes have something called special music. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just felt like I had to compliment the guy uh, for how he did. I said, nice job. Oh, give God the glory. Uh, that's what his response was. And I said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> it, it was, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So uh, just kind of circling back then to the intercessory prayer meeting, uh, what what will happen at the meeting? So I, again, um, we'll have a talk from Father Steve. We'll expose the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and then there'll be a point where we pray over each other okay. for, for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the people who are actually there I guess what we could do is have people either um, pray over each other, putting a hand out to the person next to you, or simply extending a hand to those around about you. And we'll simply ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a second or a third or whatever, Pentecost. Yeah. Uh, then we'll have uh, a litany to the Holy Spirit, um, which is fairly lengthy, but it's uh, it's good. And... Um, then and we'll have I, that printed out so that people can yeah. take that with them, you know, so they can reflect on that. Sure. Yeah, and then we'll have a, a short time of adoration, and then we'll go through this uh, nine-day novena to the Holy Spirit, and that actually goes through, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, wisdom, understanding, uh, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. So there's a so each of those in one one day after another, so people can pray through that. So, and, and we'll invite everybody the week before to uh, have that information about the, the nine-day novena, and then it'll be available that evening. 
uh, yeah. and then through the night as well. Yeah, and we'll have handouts with that that yeah. they can mm-hmm. take away. Yeah. So, And then uh, we'll end, originally I'd suggested ending with benediction, but Father Steve pointed out that since there's a vigil, um, the vigil, the following morning will end with benediction. Yeah, so well, which is uh, 7.30 Saturday morning prior to the, the morning mass, okay. we'll, uh, mm-hmm. we'll have benediction. So while we want everybody, um, whether or not they're going to come to the meeting or not, to be praying for, we want the whole parish to be yeah. praying for this new, right. new outpouring. Um, if somebody wants to uh, begin kind of discerning whether or not they've been given a particular charism, what would you... What would you tell them to kind of discern about or, or reflect upon or think about in their own life that might be signs that they've been given a charism? Well, back to Sherry Waddell, I think one of the things she talks about is four Fs, feelings, feedback, and fruit. Mm-hmm. So when you do this particular, when you perform this task, this service, is there real fruit that comes out of it? And then how do you feel when you're doing it, do you actually get energized by doing it? And what's, what feedback do you get from people that confirms your gift? Yeah. So I think that, you know. And I, th- I think some people, just on that point, people may come to you saying, will you please pray for this? Yeah, right. And, the Holy and, Spirit's going to lead right, people right, to you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there is a sense in which you, when you hear that request, you actually want to respond to it. You don't say, yes, I will, out of a sense of obligation, (laughs) (laughs) merely. Although we are obliged to pray for each other. Mm -hmm. But for some people, it is, oh, I will will take that to prayer and I will keep praying about it. And especially if you keep praying about uh, and you follow up and you ask someone else how their loved one or they or the situation has changed, that is a sign that the Lord has given you a heart for that. Mm-hmm. When uh, <laughs> when my wife and I were, were dating, we used to say the rosary together. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the rosary, you say your intentions. And she would go on and on with all of her intentions. And one time I timed it, and it actually took shorter amount of time to say the rosary than it did for her <laughs> intention. So I would gently tease her about it. But I, I told her, I said, you might want to, Go through called mm-hmm. and gifted and actually test this, and she discerned a, a gift of of intercessory prayer. And I, you know, I, I pointed out like just this need that you feel to bring the intentions of of your family and your friends. That's that's a sign right. that um, that's it's, you're being uncommonly loved through the well, gift and, of. And, and you, did, you did not say. <clears throat> That Maureen would get clarity on what her heart's desires are. <laughs> would stop <laughs> praying. <laughs> no, no, I, I, think it, I think it's right. This is a, uh, I think people have the gift of evangelization and they just can't shut up about yeah. their mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may sound like I'm criticizing it. I'm not. I think there are some people who are gifted and they look for opportunities here and there to just share about their own faith and to call people to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that first step is to discern it mm-hmm. and yep. then to look for ways that you can be formed in it afterwards. So I'm glad we're doing this so we can begin to, to help people discern um, their own calling and gifts. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up this uh, portion? Well, I think it, we, we go back to that prayer and later on this um, uh, in this Easter season, I'm going to resurrect that prayer uh, that we prayed 
forever, right? Let us pray that every person oh, in the yeah. Catholic Diocese of Lansing within the Church of the Resurrection will come to know and love our Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, grow in maturity as disciples of Christ, become actively engaged in the full life of the Church, and joyfully utilize his or her gifts for the mm-hmm. building up of the kingdom of God and the salvation of souls. That's a mouthful, but it's really what we're about. Right. And that prayer, come Holy Spirit, follows well from it. And that's I'd invite everybody who listens to us uh, and who's part of the parish and the community to, to pray, come Holy Spirit. Amen. And because we are in the, the age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I love that Father John Ricardo's uh, organization is called Acts 29 because there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We are the 29th chapter. <laughs> and, you know, in the old calendar, uh, back in the Latin Mass, they didn't count weeks of ordinary time. They counted weeks after Pentecost. Kind of this recognition that we are we're in the age of 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 Pentecost. We're in the age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Church uh, recognizes that she's born from the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and this is really the the attitude and the the state that we are meant to live in. And so I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad that we're praying a novena uh, leading up to Pentecost. And um, mm-hmm. let's just pray for an out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and docility Amen. and openness on our Absolutely. part. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. And Sean. God bless. As we grow closer to the Lord in the spiritual life, we also grow in our awareness of how much he loves us. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we explore ways in which we can overcome the fear of what others think of us and instead live out our true identity as beloved sons and daughters of God our Father. Finding our true identity. There's an old adage which runs... Where two or three are gathered in my name, they're probably talking about me. It's meant to be humorous, but it does point to a very common syndrome, which is more or less serious for many people on the planet, and that is that many of us worry about what other people are thinking of us. Of course, there are a few people who really don't care what other people think of them, either because they're not thinking hard enough about how they come across, or because they are so full of pride that they just assume everyone thinks they're wonderful, or because they are secure in themselves and have a healthy emotional life. But that isn't most people. Worry about what people think of us can have various symptoms. Terror at the prospect of public speaking, over-concern about our appearance, extreme shyness, losing sleep over previous conversations we'd had during the day, social embarrassment and the inability to look people straight in the face, or conversely, being excessively delighted or pathetically grateful when someone affirms us or pays us a compliment. One subtle but unmistakable symptom can be self-deprecating humour, where we give in to the temptation of stabbing ourselves up front before someone else stabs us in the back. There's a reason why that kind of humour is called disarming. Worry about how we present ourselves can also result in being overly cautious in what we say, so that conversation becomes a minefield where we try to avoid any wrong steps, 
So much so that social interchanges lurch along like a wagon with three wheels. Fear of how others judge us can tempt us to judge other people as a kind of defence mechanism under the well-tried military maxim that the best form of defence is attack. We may be tempted to criticise someone else if we feel threatened by that person. And we can cultivate a habit of dividing humanity into us and them, where we are in the in-crowd along with a handful of like-minded friends and everyone else is beyond the pale. All of these strategies or habits are usually based on an inaccurate and inadequate picture of who we are. Perhaps it's an inferiority complex, or perhaps the inferiority complex we have masquerades as bluster and bravado, or perhaps it's insecurity about whether we're worthwhile, acceptable or even tolerable. Not everyone suffers from these kinds of hang-ups all of the time. Well-adjusted people don't tend to go about questioning their worth as a person. Perhaps they only do that when they encounter a setback, like being harshly criticised, unjustly accused or attacked for something they did. But in general, if you have a healthy emotional life, a happy disposition and a fairly sunny outlook on life, you can go through life without questioning whether you are lovable or not. Many of us suffer from social fears because of hurts we have experienced in the past, especially if we have experienced rejection or neglect early in life. Part of the healing for those wounds involves regularly, daily in fact, coming before the Lord and allowing Him to love us. There is a certain amount of vulnerability we need in our relationship with the Lord if we are to begin to mend and become whole. When we know that we are loved by God and we begin to live out of our true identity as a beloved son or daughter, then what other people think of us becomes less and less important. When we realise that we can trust that God has our best interest at heart and that he is constantly looking for ways to convince us of his love, then that gives us a newfound confidence. We become less defensive and self-protective because we know that the various ups and downs of life and our interactions with other people have lost the power to stir up our old wounds. Part of the spiritual battle in the Christian life involves coming against the lies that the enemy tries to feed us. It's quite common for us to hear the internal voice that tells us that we are not worthy, that we are not good enough, that we are shameful, stupid, ugly or insignificant. It becomes easier to combat those voices when we focus on what God tells us about ourselves. What does he tell us? Scripture can help us here. This is what we find in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. And in the prophet Isaiah we read, 
Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. God does not condemn us. On the contrary, he is on our side. He defends us from evil. He loves us tenderly. He protects us and comes to save us. In fact, he loves us so much that when he saw how destitute and sinful we were, he did not strike us from the face of the earth, but instead decided to do the only thing that would save us and allow us to be healed. He sent his only son, Jesus, into the world, not just to teach us about God or even to work miracles, but to die for us. As St. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 6, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You would think that a just God would punish sin and condemn those who had sinned, but he doesn't. Instead, he has compassion and rushes to forgive us and heal our wounds. So this poses the question, if we are loved by God, who alone has the right to crush us, then what does it matter what other people think of us? As St. Paul says later in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. If we could just hold on to that thought, all would be well. But often we don't. Often we're apprehensive about other people's opinions of us. Often we can care too much about being accepted by those around us, being approved of and affirmed by human beings. So how do we hold on to that key truth? How can we begin to live life as if the only thing that mattered is what God thinks of us? We need to go every day to the source of truth. We need to spend time every day with the God who loves us. We need to carve out time in our day for prayer to sit before the loving God and bask in that love. We need to allow him to minister healing to us. Yes, we have been damaged by life, hurt by relationships we have been in, betrayed and rejected. But he is the source of our healing. He will enable us to find happiness, even in the midst of persecution and hatred, even though no one else cares for us, even though we may be ignored or rejected. Let's pray and ask God to reveal his love to us. Heavenly Father, we are wounded by life, but we long to be made whole. Show us your love. Free us from the lies of the enemy who would tell us that we are worthless and unlovable. Open to us the way of true happiness, knowing that you care for us, approve of us, and are trying to break into our lives with love. Amen.
finish this episode with a classical guitar piece composed by Antonio Laro, Vals Criolo, played by Kyler McGillicuddy. you've enjoyed this episode of resurrection life podcast please tune in next time for more conversation reflections and catholic culture we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature write us at podcast at corelancing.org you can find the church of the resurrection online at corelancing.org thanks for listening and god bless